Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. tells us in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 25 is you know the apostle Paul speaking he says being confident of this very thing I know that I will abide with you I will continue with you for your furtherance and for your joy in the faith and this in itself is powerful this is a pastor talking to his his disciples and he's saying that listen I'm confident that I must continue with you continue there is a present and consistent training he says he's confident that him staying and training them would cause them to experience growth I like to think of it as a curriculum mindset their pastor there knew that there are certain things that him staying with them would cause them to learn that would make them effective believers are you getting this there are certain things that they must learn from him to cause them to experience what he called fodrans. Greek word prokope. Advancement is another word for it. And then he says joy of faith. Let it not be that is when you became a Christian that things stopped working properly. I get what I'm saying. Joy of faith. That your heart is yielded to the one who called you out of darkness into light and that you progress and so our job as ministry gives the bible says in ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 and it says he himself gave gifts to the church the pastors the prophets the evangelists it says their purpose is to equip the church since their purpose is to what to equip the church for the work of ministry to build up the church so every ministry gift has a responsibility to build up to equip to perfect a better way to understand perfecting and equipping like an analogy i always use is when you get wood from the forest you don't automatically make it make it into a bed a bed frame no it goes through something called a furnishing. And what is furnishing? It's that process when the rough wood is taken until it becomes smooth. Are you with me? It is refined. It is painted before it becomes what you see and you use today. That's what ministry gifts are supposed to do. Paul speaking, he says, I long to see you. That I may impart into you some spiritual good. Another place he talked about, you know, impacting what is lacking in their faith. So a ministry gift's job is to equip. And I was explaining furnishing. It's that process of refining you. And I said, Paul said in one place that he wants to complete what is lacking in their faith. So the job of the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, the teacher is to what? Discern and supply. We are to discern what is lacking in making you a proper and effective believer. And our job is to what? Is to supply and to equip. And so when it comes to a community of people like this, my job as a pastor is to discern what you need and to supply. And so regardless of how I feel when it comes to subjects like dating, it's something that is bound to happen. 
And so we must teach you how to date rightly, how to get into good, godly relationships. I get what I'm saying, you know, so we don't have a bunch of people that are just doing things we don't understand. Are you with me? We have to what? We have to moderate. We have to moderate. We have to address the ones that are asking when. <laughs> we have to address the ones that are in and are trying to make sure things are fine. And then in the community as well, we're growing into a point where we have people who are getting married soon. And so we have to also prepare you for marriage by the word of God. And so that's the job of the ministry gift, to discern what is lacking and to supply. And so we started on Sunday with an introduction to this teaching series titled Head and Heart. And I told you on Sunday that the goal of this teaching series might be different from what you've expected. And one of the things I said this teaching will not do to you is that it might just not leave you desiring a romantic relationship as you might think. But what it would do for you is that it would leave you being a better Christian in every relationship. A better human. It would leave you learning how to think with your head and feel with your heart. And not feel with your head and think with your heart. And as much as, you know, that sounds funny, what I mean by that is this. There are certain decisions when it comes to romantic relationships. We must, yes, acknowledge the feelings, but we must also be intelligent about our decisions. Are you getting what I'm saying? And there are certain times as well that the feelings are there because God put them there for a reason. So logic is not against feelings. And our feelings sometimes might be against logic, but we must make sure... <laughs> that we are able to think through those situations. And that is why we're doing this series. Open your Bibles with me to the book of John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Is everybody there? Sir. Alright. The Bible says in John chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, Then come to the city of Samaria. Then he come to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. How many of you know how to calculate this? When the Bible says sixth hour, what does it mean? I've taught you this before, how we count Bible days, especially when it's in Old English, like KJV. All right, the Jewish calendar, Jewish clock, rather, you know, starts counting the beginning of the day from 6 and it ends at 6. So 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. is one day. And so when the Bible says, you know, in, 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 in Acts chapter 2 when they were drunk, that it says, when Peter responded and says that, you know, you cannot say these guys are drunk because it is only what? I can't remember what it was, but I think it was only the third hour. So if you are going to count the third hour, you count 6, 7, 8, 6, then 7, 8, 9, meaning it was 9 a.m. And so nobody was expected to be drunk at 9 a.m. Are you getting the Peter's point now? All right, so it helps you when you understand all of these things. So now when he says the 6th hour, what time would it be then? 12, because it's 6 to 6, so it's 12, you know, noon. And so the Bible says that it was about the 6th hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. 
And Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. It says, Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? And someone's like, Sir, I don't see love here. Why are you using this as your introduction? <laughs> Anyways, please follow me. All right. You see, you know, she's asking, Why is it that? You know, you being a Jew are talking to me being a Samaritan. And the Bible says that for Jews have no dealing with the Samaritan. Now, that itself is not in the originals. It was added for your understanding. All right. For you to know that Jews had no dealing with the Samaritans. All right. It says, then Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that said, give me to drink, that would have asked him and he would have given him living water. Listen, this is one very, very important story in the Bible. Jesus is sitting by a well and a woman comes to draw water. But when she got there, Jesus asked her for a drink. And her question was, why is it that you being a Jew would ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Now, in cultural context, culturally speaking, when you study this, you understand that in their culture, Jews do not have dealings with Samaritans. And this is because the Jews consider the Samaritans unclean because of their history. And one of the reasons is because Samaritans started to intermarry with Gentiles. And according to, you know, the law, they were not supposed to intermarry. Are you with me? If you read, you know, the Old Testament, well, you'd understand what I'm saying. And now Jesus says, if you know the gift of God and who is asking you for a drink, your question will be different. Meaning if you know who this is that is talking to you, you will discern rightly and ask me a different question. Are you with me? If you know the gift of God, your question will be different. You would ask me for living water. This means that when we discern people rightly, we can ask the right question. Verse 11, the Bible says, And the woman saith unto him, Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is different. Whence thou art living water? It says, Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? And drank of himself and his children and his cattle. She still did not get what Jesus was saying by asking him for living water. And Jesus answered in verse 13 and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water which I shall give him shall never thirst. It says, But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well springing up unto eternal life. And now her question changed totally. What did she say? Sir, Give me this water that I thirst not. And then after that, it was a different story entirely. Now she understood who Jesus was. She knew that he wasn't talking about just the water from the well. And then verse 19, the Bible says, The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, in 20, she says, our fathers worshipped him in this mountain. And you say Jerusalem is the place men ought to worship. Now, now look at what changed. What was her first question? Why is it that you Samaritan are talking to me Jew? But now she discerned him as a prophet. Did her question change or not? Hey, are you following? Are you guys here? Sorry, it changed. Did her question change or not? It changed. Meaning she had a good question to ask. But the first question she asked was different, if you notice. And now she's asking the right question, the question that was really bothering her heart. 
Many times we don't get the difference between both questions. Even as I'm reading it to you, some of you might not understand the difference between both questions. Do you know that the last question she asked is the same as the first question she asked? Are you getting what I'm saying? What was the first question she asked? Why is it that you, Samaritan? I Exactly, you Jew rather, are talking to me, Samaritan. But what she actually intended to ask was what she asked last after discerning that he was a prophet. And the way you would understand this, you know, is when you understand the cultural context. So let me give you a brief of a background to the, 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 the fight between the Jews and the Samaritans. Alright, so Israel as a nation was divided. If you read First Kings very well, you know, you would see that Israel as a, as a nation was divided. So they were divided into two parts. The first part had, I think, about seven of the kingdoms. And the second part had the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And so they were divided into the, north, the northern parts and the southern parts. And so the northern kingdom identified as Jews. And the southern kingdom identifies as, as, as Israelites. Alright? Now, Jeroboam was the king of the north. And Samaria was the capital of the north. The north is the one that had the seven kingdoms joined together. I get what I'm saying. So, Jeroboam was their king. Samaria was the capital of that place. And then the south were the ones that had just the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. They were the ones who identified as Jews. Are you getting this? And so, there was a big fight between them. And after the division, Jeroboam, the king of the north, instructed that his people should not go to Judah which is to the other side, to go worship in the temple because the temple was at the other side. Are you getting this? And you remember, everybody had to go to the temple to worship. So he instructed that his people should not go to that place to worship anymore. And so no longer did the inhabitants of the north travel to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and to worship. And so this was the problem. And so the people of the north stopped going to Jerusalem. Not only did they stop going to Jerusalem, they became captive by, you know, the Assyrians and they started to, they started to intermarry. And so they were considered unclean Jews. Are you getting this? Because they started to intermarry with Gentiles. So the first question she asked was this. Why are you talking to me? Because Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. And this was because the Jews felt that the guys at this other side where Jerusalem the temple was felt that these other guys were not clean since they started to intermarry. But the real question that was bothering her heart was what she later said because their own king at the time had said they should not go to Jerusalem to worship. But the Jews had said Jerusalem is the place to worship. So when she discerned Christ as a prophet, what did she say? She said, you said that Jerusalem, our father says that the mountain is where we can worship. Your own father said Jerusalem is the place to worship. What is the right thing? And Jesus now clearly tells her. Are you getting what I'm saying? He clearly gives her an answer. He says, you know, his answer now helped, them, helped her understand that you don't know what you're worshipping. It says God is looking for in these last days those that worship him in spirit and in truth. So the real question that she needed answer to was the one she gave later. Are you getting what I'm saying? And many of us are like this. It's important that we learn to ask the right questions. Because Jesus was not after a separation of me greeting you or not, which our fathers did. Mm -mm. Jesus was, was after teaching her the importance of a union that will come now by the Spirit, of a new time that he is bringing, which is not about where you are from or where you worship, but those who worship God in spirit and in truth. So the type of questions we ask matter a lot. Are you getting this? The type of questions we ask matter. 
It's almost like the guys, you know, who were around when Jesus healed the blind man. The, the, the question they asked Jesus was who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind, you know. And the message translation says, you know, you are asking the wrong question. It's neither him. Even though I don't like to use the message, but it, it just captured the kind of way that Jesus would have responded in our day. You're asking the wrong questions. He didn't sin. It's not about his sin that he was born blind. Neither was it about his parents' sin that he was born blind. Are you getting the point? We need to learn to ask the right questions. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 45. Luke chapter 2 and verse 45. Can you tell somebody, learn to ask the right questions? Learn to ask the right questions. You can type it in the comment learn section. Right you can send someone a private message. Learn to ask the right questions. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 45, backstory, Jesus had gone with his parents and on their way back, they thought he was following them and apparently he wasn't following them. And so now his parents have started looking for him. And in verse 45, the Bible says, And when they found him not, they turned back to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of doctors, both hearing them and what? Asking questions. Are you listening to this? He was hearing them and he was what? He was asking questions. The Bible says all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. It says in 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor of God and man. A man of wisdom is a man that asks the right question. It's not just about asking questions. It's about asking the right questions. We must learn to ask the right questions. Hallelujah. And so what are the questions that you're asking today? First of all, it's important to ask questions. But secondly, what are the questions you're asking? If we're being honest, some questions are foolish. I'm not trying to say the person is foolish. And you know I refrain from using such words. But some questions just show us. And when we say foolish, we're talking about being slow of understanding. You know, you are not desiring to learn or grow or be wise. And that's why you have to watch yourself. The type of questions you ask, they matter. Ask right questions. You know, it would even aid your Bible study. When you read the Bible, ask the right question. Why was there a semicolon used here? Why was there a comma used there? Ask the right question. Are you getting what I'm saying? Ask, ask the right question. Don't come and ask me why did they say he instead of she. Praise she the Lord. We know what you are looking for. It's not wise. They prayed for you. They said, you know, in Jesus' name, when the person said, Amen, you said, you said, a woman. Are you? That's foolish. That's the definition. It's foolish. Ask the right question. Because there's nothing about God that is supposed to indicate your gender battle. This is God. He's outside of here. He's unique on his own. So why are you saying he's unique on his own? His reputation, when we see him talk, he speaks as a father. Why father? Because the seed comes from the man. These are simple, sensible reasons why we use the, the noun. Doesn't mean he's male or female. When he revealed himself, he came as a man. We use he. This is not a gender battle. Ask the right questions. Are you getting what I'm saying? Ask the right question. Some people, can I tell you something? When you ask questions that are set to provide controversy, you are not wise. You are not doing it to wisdom. You are doing it to foolishness. 
Are you getting the point? It, that's not what I'm here. For some reason, I just feel a need to flog it. We need to ask the right questions. We need to ask. A lot of us, by asking foolish questions, have permitted the wrong things in our relationships as well. What if we live together in the same house but we do not touch ourselves? It's a foolish question. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? It's a foolish question. It is. What if I have a female best friend we used to talk every day and more, you know, connected to her than my partner? It's a foolish question. You understand what I'm saying? Think about it. Then ask questions that would yield <laughs> good answers for you to grow and be wise. Some of you know the answer. I remember going to church one time to preach in Babcock University and I had balanced. Listen, I, I think that my balance when it comes to the subject of grace is wonderful. Those of you that have heard me teach, you know. If there's anything I'm balanced at, it's the gospel. It's grace. Very balanced at it. I did a teaching on grace. Very balanced. In so they said I should host the workers. I should um, handle the workers meeting of the church that day. And one girl started asking me, so can a believer lose his salvation? I'm like, but I've balanced this in this teaching. It's a foolish question because you are get, you know we are in a community of people who have a doctrine that is extreme and I've balanced it in such a way that they believe what I just said even without me having to make extreme statements. Do you know what I'm saying? And now, in that same community, you are pushing me there are some things we can't, we don't say outrightly. You know, I was having a meeting with the new workers, you know, the workers in training yesterday. We were, I think we were having a for over two hours, two, over, two hours, 30 minutes on this same subject matter. And in the end, we were clear that the Bible categorically tells you that God is able to keep the believer and make him persevere. But if you come to me, will I tell you once saved is always saved? I will not say it outrightly. There are some questions that don't deserve yes or no answers. Are you with me? There are some questions we have to show you what the Bible says. And so some people ask those questions to provoke controversies. And they, it is foolish. Ask questions to be wise. Hallelujah. And so that's why it's very important that we make sure that we ask wise questions. We, have, we ask questions that will lead us to becoming wise. And that's for me, that's why the question and answer session is always very important. And it's something that I want us to add more efforts into. You know, ask wise questions because that's how you grow. Hallelujah. Having said that, I want to address a question that we ask today. In and of itself is harmless. Are you with me? But I want to address it today. And the question I want to address today is God when? It's a popular question that is trending everywhere today. And the problem is this, when it comes to romantic relationships, we hear this everywhere. It is supposed to be quite harmless. But the problem is that we're not asking the right question. So any small thing, God, it has become a normal response. Two things, oh, God win. <laughs> Anything that happens, God win. You know, someone slap somebody in a relationship and say, ah, oh, God win. Anything now, as long as it's two people, we say, God, when? <laughs> Hallelujah. And so the goal of this teaching is to help you ask the right questions. Listen, no one say P. Mike says a foolish question to say, God, when? I'm just saying, what if it's not the right question? 
All right. I'm not saying you are foolish for asking God to I'm just saying, what if we're asking the wrong, the, the, the wrong questions? And so what we want to do is help you ask the right questions so you can get the right answers as regarding dating and romantic relationships as believers. For instance, I even atheist used to say God went. So I'm like, wait, God? <laughs> Bro, how far? <laughs> Which God are you asking when? Is it the universe? Or the stars? Oh, hallelujah. Amen. And so a lot of us are focused on the when. And so we have like a, a sense of urgency that is not healthy, you know. We've created an environment of undue pressure. It's a consistent pressure that leads many of us to, you know, to make many mistakes. Many of us don't even see the problem with dating many people in our lifetime. Because there's just undue pressure. You don't even know how to be single. You don't know. So when you get to your partner, your partner say, oh, you are my first. So how about you? Say, let's leave that matter. <laughs> let's, let's leave that matter <laughs> for the Lord to settle. <laughs> you know, but, but we have to understand that it's not a healthy culture. Undue pressure to just get into relationship. Undue pressure. Hallelujah. Dating is not a teenage ritual, like many of us learned. Once you become 17, 18, everybody's saying, you know, they, we all do it. So, so there's an expectation. I'm waiting till that age. You and your parents are expecting. Ah, I will not be that parent. You say, yeah, right, yeah. when you read the age, he said, bring, bring them home. You know, some people, you know, have defined it as a period of learning for marriage. May I never learn through that? You ought to learn with what? <laughs> Hallelujah. So a believer, you know, you are you are you just entered 200 level. By the time you get to 300 level, you are feeling incomplete. 400 level, you walk on, you can't walk on the roads of your school because boys and girls at the left in pairs, butterflies together. Everything you see is in pairs. Only you are alone. You're like, oh my god. I'm missing something, Jesus. I'm missing something. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so, romantic relationships have become that important box for you to check if you are going to remain relevant and upload your status. Many times as well, some of our parents don't help us. Every little conversation, they'll say, how is the man? And I'm like, mommy, what man now? Did you give me man? <laughs> what man? I say, oh, okay. It's what I was just saying. You know, so the problem is a lot of pressure. And so the question that plagues many people is why am I still single? I know. And so any new guy that comes into your space is a potential boyfriend. So simple relationships become complicated because you're moving closer and it's moving farther. And it's like, I just want to be your friend, you know? So it's, it's undue pressure. And we've made many mistakes because of it. Hallelujah. We've made many mistakes because of it. It's not healthy. Why am I still single? Why shouldn't you be? That's what I'll ask you. What? Like, why should you not be single? <laughs> Hallelujah. And listen, some of us do it for some form of validation. It doesn't validate how beautiful you are or handsome you are. You get my point? It doesn't. It doesn't. Hallelujah. Many times as well, it's ego soothing. A validation that comes from being wanted by someone. So there's that 
tiny insecurity at the back of many people's minds, the need for validation from another human is well. Hallelujah. I hope you're learning something. I hope it's, 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 you know, just causing the right types of thoughts in your heart. How did we get here? And so as much as you want to know God when, and you're under a lot of pressure, the God why might just be what you need. And it's just more important. Why? Why should you? It was the late Miles Monroe who said where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. So why? Why should you go into a relationship? Because chances are that if you don't know the why, you would abuse it. Are you getting what I'm saying? Why? What is the purpose of relationships? If you don't know the why, then why do you think you'll be successful in one? And there are different reasons people give for the why. And so I'm asking you today, why do you want to go into a relationship? Think about this for one minute. Why? I'm sure someone is like, sir, this is not what I came to hear. I came to hear five steps to landing my dream man. <laughs> five steps to landing the true Christian brother. How to shoot my shots. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, I'll give a few reasons why people have gone into romantic relationships. And then we'll look for ourselves if they make sense. I think this first one is the silliest to me. For a fresh start. So, people get into relationships to have a fresh start. So, some people even get married for a fresh perspective at life. But, I'm sorry, please. There are many things you can do for fresh perspective. Do you know what I'm saying? There are, there are many things you can do to get a fresh perspective. Why not travel? Or get a haircut? You know what you do when you want to get a fresh perspective. Why is it committing yourself to somebody for the rest of your life that will give you a fresh perspective? Are you with me? If you needed a fresh perspective in the first place and you don't solve that problem, then you are wicked for bringing another person into that trouble you've not sorted. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've not sorted what you're going through and now you want to attack someone else thinking it's the person that will bring a breath of fresh air when you've not solved your problem. Your own breath of badness will spoil a fresh air. So solve your problems first. Deal with your problems. Are you with me? Deal with your problems. Come to God. Let God help you. Don't replace God with another human being. You know what I'm talking about. There's, there's that tiny thought that maybe things will just be better if I'm dating. Are you getting what I'm saying? So let me just get somebody. Let things just be different. Let my Instagram page even change from single, single pictures to now at least, at least, at least, hell, hallelujah. And it's not a healthy practice. I feel like it's not fair to drag someone else into this. Some people have a chronic dating problem. You see this fresh perspective? Have you seen people that always want something new? They can't sustain anything. So even relationship, they cannot sustain. After six months, they need something new. Because you are wicked. It's the truth. You have to understand. These are God's children. So we look for cool names for it. You, and listen, listen, it has been so bad in our society that young children in secondary school see these things and feel it's cool. You know, in my secondary school, there was a clique called Playboy Swag. The funniest part is that I was a part of them. PBS. I was a part of them. Small young children thinking that it was cool to play with ladies' hearts. So, I'm not telling you, so your pastor is not innocent of the society's influence. So, we must do something different. A cool name. They even have logo. You know now. 
that rabbit logo. So we have branded chronic dating and breaking people's hearts. Wickedness to be something to desire. See that we have there's problem. Yeah, it's problem. I'm touching the one that touched you now, so people are not responding. You were part of them. <laughs> you were part of them. So, we, we've branded it to look good. If you have a chronic dating issue, learn to be single first. Don't, don't bring someone else into your drama. Listen, I know you are laughing, but I'm talking to you. I like to say this. It's you. <laughs> it's you. Because in the last two years, you've been with four people. It's you. Okay. Hallelujah. <laughs> See, that's why I like sticking. Let me focus on my own gospel. Don't bring me to teach relationship because I'll be, <laughs> I'll be open with everything. <laughs> I don't know how to be doing. I will just tell you the truth. When you are, when you feel down, eh, solve your problems. Don't think about the relationship. Mm-mm. So you, you now, you, you know what I'm saying. You know, you use the buzz and the, the excitement of chasing a girl and getting her to be, you live on that drive. Is wickedness. Solve your problems. Are you with me? Solve your problems. No one can do that but God. So pray. Talk to God. And I, I want to address this under this as well. You see, there's this pattern I see in many fervent believers. When you meet a person of the opposite sex who is not doing well, but the moment they met you, they decided to turn their way around and they attracted to you. And so you feel like I can change him, I can change her, and they now they, they themselves they now turn their ways and start coming close to God. So you now think that if you don't date them, they will stop following God. God did not send you to do that. Are you with me? So your dating has become the power of God unto salvation. Say I'm doing it for God. It's not just about you know. I I just need to be there for her. I need to be there for him. Now you are doing evangelical relationship, evangelism dating. <laughs> now, wow. <laughs> Listen, it must stop. Are you with me? This is not grounds for relationship. The fact that you met somebody, you are attracted to the person, his work with God is not serious. Trying to pull him up to God is not grounds for relationship. Are you with me? Are you with me? Dating is not the seal of their salvation. It will not seal their salvation to make it worse. You will be their downfall. So you better help them and not date them. I get what I'm saying. It's not grounds for relationship. Because a lot of us now think that if we stop and we don't, you know, give in to a romantic relationship with them, their work with God will not be serious. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. Go here into the world, preach the gospel, not preach dates and attract. Mm-mm. Preach the gospel. Preach. If they want a fresh start, relationship is not their fresh start. The Holy Spirit will make them new. Change the desire. Are you getting this? Change their desires, it can get messy. Because now, you have made yourself the power of God to save them. So if your relationship break, their work with God will break. Because it's on that relationship that they started to follow God. Some of you, they don't now really know God. They are doing it for you. You see that you are causing more problems. More. So I beg, don't do evangelical dating. I beg. If you like him, hand him over to somebody else. I like to pick calls and help people grow. You can call me. Are you with me? I want to mentor her. So you are dating and I'm mentoring her. Not only you, <laughs> mentors. Not only you, Sabi, mentor, Abby. <laughs> Please. Once anything, Unumuru is already happening in the picture. It's, it would cause pro- I'm telling you, people have gotten hurt. It's messy. Don't do it. 
don't do it. Can I tell you something? It's okay that you like a girl or you like a guy who's not doing, you know, who's not as fervent as you find. Hand them over to someone else to disciple them. I, I get what I'm saying. Don't complicate the issues. You overtrust yourself sometimes. I can mentor him. I can mentor her. I beg. Hand the person over to somebody. Hallelujah. Because you are not going to be the fresh air that they are looking for. Let them become new in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Number two. I wish we had more time. Flog that topic well. Very well. Don't do it. Let me tell you my story. From the boy who was doing party and doing PBS, Playboy Swag, I enter school and there's this woman that used to pray. I say, Lord, I've seen a damsel. <laughs> so, I told her, she cut me away. She, not even, she said she cannot date me. I'm telling you. So, she did not play with me. She said no. She actually clearly told me she cannot date anybody that is not more spiritually mature than she, you know, she was at the time. I'm not saying that, say that to the person, you know. I'm just telling you what she says. I, I mean, I've told her I'll expose her if I get to teach on love. So, <laughs> so, you know, but listen, I'll tell you two things that did for me. No more, I look at myself. Ah, is it not this God? We all know God now. What's this girl talking about? I never imagined that there was something more or something deeper apart from pastors. So for the first time, I'm sitting and I'm like, but I love God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I love God. What, what am I doing differently? So I moved on. One way or the other, that challenged me, but I didn't really do it because of that. It was one particular day I had an encounter. I remember I was in my room. The first person I preached to was Finn, my friend. He was also in church, but I went to meet him and I told him that there's a fire, a passion that is burning in me for us to do more for God. That day, myself and him did evangelism in the whole of Royal Hall. But listen, I knew that challenge was something. So, she did not try to hold my hand and say, I'm helping with relation. Mm -mm. <laughs> she cut it away. So, please learn. Learn. Don't do ah. And it's cute though. I beg. Just let him go. You, and the funny thing, she now became my friend. And she'll be asking me, oh, have you done this? Have you done that? And I say, yes. Anyways. But the Lord knew my future. Rabaka, hey, Rabaka. Can someone play the piano for me? <laughs> he that started. <laughs> I'm joking, please. <laughs> All right, number two. Loneliness and or companionship. This is another reason why people get into relationships. Another wrong reason. Loneliness or companionship. Please, if you are lonely or you need companion, get a friend or get a dog. Do you understand? <laughs> Get a friend or get a pet. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Get a pet. Because many times, when the relationship gets to a stage, and you now find that kind of company, maybe in another person, you now begin to neglect your partner. And there's now nothing else to do. The relationship doesn't now make any sense because that was the only thing you were looking at. I get what I'm saying. When you finally get even the companionship from the person, okay, what next? So you get to a stage where you're just at a roadblock. No future together other than the companionship you thought about. And now you will have a problem when the person gets busy. Because you see no other purpose for the relationship. Another thing that you would that would be a rude realization is that you can get lonely in a relationship. It's not going to cure it. It's not. And it will not be your partner's fault. Are you with me? 
And this is why some people always think there's a problem with their relationship or their partner because you are still feeling lonely when your relationship, you thought your relationship would cure that loneliness. Maybe the problem was that you were idle. You thought that, so you got into a relationship, you are still idle and your partner is not idle, so you are feeling lonely. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Are you getting what I'm saying? And this is important because your expectation from the movies and all of these things has already clouded your mind. So the movies did not tell you that people used to do NYSC. And they used to post them to other states. <laughs> Our Nigerian audience know what I'm talking about. The movies did not tell you that the person's family might want them to go and do masters in UK. So now, the only reason why you got into the relationship is being toyed with. And now, no purpose. Have you seen people that once you move apart, they just stop talking to each other? Are we still dating? We don't know. You know what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm talking about. Just move apart. Nothing is happening in the relationship. We don't know if we are dating or we are not. Are you with me? And so you never imagined that a boyfriend works. Neither did you imagine that a boyfriend can be in ministry and can travel to preach. Now you become the opposition to them fulfilling purpose. Because anytime they want to take their career more seriously, you have their problem. You will throw tantrums. He said, you don't love me! And again, it's like, but we just spoke. But it's not giving you. It's like the religion is not giving. It's not what you saw. On Maje and Maje, Korean film. It's not what you saw. It's not what you saw there. What you saw there, the guy does not have work. All he's left to, all he's born to do is to sit down in the house and be hugging you. <laughs> so, now, he's doing real life job. The Lord has called him to ministry. He's preparing sermon notes. He said, won't you hug me? He said, ah, I need to be praying. He said, won't you hug me? Listen, all those things are good. Are you with me? But it's not the only, you said, get a job to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Get a job. You know, there's this, do I want to say this? Older guys always find it hard sometimes to date ladies that are a lot younger than them. Sometimes, not always. And the common thread I've seen in those conversations when I have with them is that <laughs> usually, the ladies are usually just jobless. So any single minute, they cannot understand that the person is working. But they usually understand it when they start working because now you'll be busy. When Lagos traffic summer you, by the time you get back from VI, the one hour that you see to hug, you enjoy the hug and the talk. Listen, this does not mean don't create time for your partner relationship. All those things are important. You can hug all day if you like. Do whatever you like. But what I'm saying is there is more. Life happens. So, companionship it's not a reason because if that's the only thing you're looking for, after that, what next? Are you with me? What next? So there'll be an undue expectation of the of your partner. Those of you in a relationship, did you or that have been in a relationship before, did you have to adjust your expectations or not? You did, right? Now why now all of us for you are single? Who be that? Ikmi? Okay, so I agree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but did you, at least those who know what I'm talking about, I'm a wow. I want to say God way, but God, why? Because we don't know why you're still single. <laughs> Anyways, so listen, listen. Those of you, did you have to adjust your expectations or not? You did. It's not only for the ladies. Listen, I'm not even trying to be, you know, um, um, it's the word sexist. I'm not trying to be that. Because also, vice versa. Vice versa, it happens as well. If a guy is the one that is not working, if you always think his babe does not have time for him, do you get what I'm saying? So now, how do you balance expectation? 
And that was the only reason why you got into a relationship in the first place. So that's where it stops. Nothing more. He said, ah, babe, let's talk about our future. I said, no, I just want to see you. Let's just continue talking. Let's talk about our future. Hallelujah. Number three, completion. That is to complete you. To complete you. To complete you. And this is another reason why many relationships fail. Because your expectation is something that nobody can provide. No relationship can complete you. No man can complete you. My pastor always says that marriage is not about two incomplete people coming together. It's about two complete people in Christ. Are you with me? Coming together. Before I even heard that sentence, I remember in school, that was the first thing I learned. Like it's not half and half. Mm -mm. I'm looking for my better half. You go find that. You are complete. You, our benediction says we are complete in Christ Jesus. In his death we die. Buried with him in baptism. Risen by faith. We are found completion in Christ. You are not going to complete me. Oh, yes, sir. I find completion in Christ. I'm complete in Christ Jesus. I am. I'm complete in Christ Jesus. So if you are not complete, maybe you are not saved. Or something's wrong with you. But find completion in Christ. Because when the Bible tells us about something, we, the moment we find Christ, we begin to desire him more. So, we are complete in him. We are satisfied in him. Our thirst is filled in him. All of these are metaphor, metaphors for salvation. Are you getting it? Our thirst is satisfied in him. Our hunger is filled in him. Whatever void was felt there is filled by Christ. Hey, are you learning something? It's filled by Christ. Filled by Christ. So, you know, David can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because I have a God who satisfies all my need. I've learned to be complete in Christ Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying? I've learned. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's a picture of satisfaction. Because what is sheep supposed to do in green pastures? It says he made me lie down, meaning I'm done, I'm satisfied. I find satisfaction. If you have not learned this, ah, please don't enter any relationship. Learn. Nobody's going to do that work. It's God. He says, he leaves me beside still water. You must understand. Please, are you learning something? You are complete. You are rooted in Christ. So same thing. Now that you're in a relationship, you want someone to complete you. Ah, please be complete in Christ. Remember, we're dealing with wrong reason. Number four, right? Joy or happiness. Joy. Yes, a partner can make you happy but will never be the ultimate source of your joy. Joy doesn't come from a significant order. Are you with me? If you think you need a relationship to be happy, <laughs> you'll probably be unhappy when you get into it. And so those of you that are in relationship, these are the things you need to check. Maybe I went in for the wrong reasons. Because you would realize that joy must only be found in something or someone eternal. Because if your joy is on something that is not eternal, it means that at every shake it, flung, it, 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 it flutters. I get what I'm saying. It moves. Joy must be found on something eternal. So relationship shouldn't be the source of your joy. Every relationship will end on this earth. So whoever so you get to be with, by God's grace, come, listen, you, you have to understand that what common sense will teach you is that we are humans and humans are flawed. And so you can't place the source of your joy on any human. It's a big shoe to feel. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a big shoe to feel. Listen, I'm not teaching, and this is the way to take this, so you don't go extreme. I'm not teaching that you shouldn't try to make your partner happy in a relationship. I'm not teaching that you shouldn't care for your partner. I'm not teaching that you shouldn't, you know, 
I'm telling you about expectation before you get into a relationship. Things that you should have sorted out. Things that no, no other person can feel. And so as a believer, your, your, your source of joy should be found in something constant. Not something fleeting. Are you with me? The Bible says in John 1 that the world and his desires will pass away. So if the world passes away and anyone who lazies or has joy on anything of this world is in for a roller coaster. Because the world will pass away. Hallelujah. First John 2.17 says, The world and his desires pass away. Whosoever does the will of God will live forever. First Corinthians 7.31 it says, Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in, in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So we know man has flaws and we are all growing and walking toward perfection in Christ. So we still make mistakes. It's a big show. So feel. But the Bible also says, in Psalms chapter 125 verse 1, it says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion who cannot be moved but abide forever. So when you trust in God, your joy, are you with me? Is from God. First Corinthians 7 31. And then I'm reading Psalms 125 verse 1 now. It says, those who put their trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. So now you are not entering a relationship with mood swings mm-mm, because you've learned that the source of your joy is God. So you stand like Mount Zion. Things that easily want to shake you in a relationship would not. Why? Your joy is eternal. You are like Mount Zion. Natural, earthly things would happen, but they will not move you. Why? I'm like Mount Zion. So imagine Zion couple. Two mountain-like people who don't place the source of their joy on anything of this earth. Standing together. Ah, it will be hard to fight. And when we fight, you know, we easily reconcile. Because why? Our trust is on something different. We make ourselves happy, yes, but the source of our joy is external. Are you with me? Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Delight in the Lord. Find joy and satisfaction in the Lord. Find delight in God. It's a person that has learned to find delight and satisfaction in God. When you consider God, you learn how to love. You learn how to love in response to God's love. And you learn how to interpret this in your everyday life as well. So learn this. If you have not considered the love of God well, you might not really understand what love is. That's what we learned last week. Remember? You might not. Because the only picture of love you might have seen is just what is earthly, what people are doing on this earth. But God's love is sure and stable. That's why some people don't believe that it's possible for men to be faithful. But when we see God, we know that there is love that can stand the test of time. And so I can love like that. Are you getting this? I can love like that. A lot of people go into a relationship with the expectation that it will break. Do you, do, you understand? do you see the problem? I watched an interview and a lady says men would always cheat. You are wrong information. How many of you saw it? I think it was on Twitter on, on, on Instagram. She said even in the Bible, no man, there was no faithful man. You know sabi anything. So even in the Bible, there was no man that was faithful. I'm like, what are you talking about? You never read the Bible. That's how we know. You are making a solid conclusion on, on a subject matter that you are not vasting for the Bible. So we can't trust what you are saying. You've not read the Bible to the end. You say that it's nowhere in the Bible that there was any faithful man. You know, Sabi. She now, you know, she was so bold. She now said, name one faithful man in the Bible. I'm like, it's not hard to see people. I get what I'm saying. It's not hard. They are plenty, even in the New Testament, there are plenty of them. Even Peter, you get what I'm saying. It's not hard. You say, you can't say faithful. So bold. You see, wrong information, faulty information everywhere. So now, that one now, when that relationship is heading for doom, do you get what I'm saying? Because your expectation is that your, your boyfriend always cheats. So even when he doesn't, you, you, you think he's doing that. Faulty information. 
Another reason why people get into relationships. Some of these answers are not... Some of these reasons are things that by, by, by the help of God, I'm able to discern and supply. So this, this next one might not be the normal things you would see. But another reason why people get into relationships is sexual mistakes. Sexual mistakes. And this is a sensitive one. We don't believe in premarital sex. It's not biblical. It's wrong. It's a sin. But the fact that you made a mistake and you slept with a guy doesn't make it mandatory that you date him. Are you listening to me? It doesn't make it mandatory. And it needs to be spoken about. The fact that you lost your virginity to someone doesn't mean you must date him. The problem is that a lot of times you now feel like you have lost something to him. Calm down. No. You are complete in Christ. He has redeemed you by his blood. He has redeemed you. Are you getting what I'm saying? I once asked the lady who I used to disciple, why are you with this guy? She just couldn't let go because they had done that. So she felt like she would be losing a part of herself. And I, I understand the thinking, but it's not right. Are you getting what I'm saying? It is not right. There are many criteria to check before you decide to commit your life to somebody forever. Do you understand what I'm saying? Many things. And so a sexual mistake is not what should lead you there. Same way pregnancy is not criteria for marriage. Are you listening? So there's an African culture thing that because you are pregnant for somebody, you must marry the person. What if it's not the right choice? So now you force yourself into a, a, a marriage, a commitment to somebody who is not right for you. Who would take you from where you're supposed to be? You know, I was telling, telling Simi the other day, you know, I received a text message on, from Facebook. Sometimes I, I just get messages from Facebook and I, I just sometimes try to check it just so that nobody feels like I'm snubbing them. So I received a text message from someone and it was someone that we, 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 we sort of, we didn't grow up together, but knew me in like the early stages when I was in 100 level, 200 level, you know, and all of that period of my life. All right. And the person sent me a message to ask me for some money. And, you know, as much as like, I, I tried to help because, but first of all, I was shocked because at that time I knew her, I knew where she was. She was one of the people that were, you know, that were chasing me at the time, but I don't say she'd have calmed down, but <laughs> she was chasing me at the time. And, but it was different because I knew her standards. I knew who she was. I knew that, you know, she could do a lot more. But now on checking, I just said, thought to check her Facebook page. And now on checking her Facebook page, you know, she was married to this prophet guy, you know, on celeb prophet guy and you, you just you understand what i'm saying so i'm talking to her you know texted her and we spoke a bit you know she spoke about how you know she had to go ahead and do it because she had a child no are you with me no it's not right because now i don't want to go into the details of the church but like listen now you are moving into a lifelong commitment because of a situation that happened no and we should talk about it are you guys listening to me we should the fact that you feel like you've lost a part of yourself to somebody is not grounds to marry. Please and please. It's not grounds to get into a relationship. You'll become a toxic one. Are you with me? First of all, if that started on the wrong grounds, it would not go well. If that started with premarital sex, it will continue. You are giving grounds for it to continue if you date the person. Are you following me? So, I'm, I'm not saying it on, on the grounds for you to go and engage in premarital sex. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it with the voice of, of, of John when he says, my little children, I write to you that, that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate. I'm encouraging you that you sin not. But that if for any reason that has happened, I beg, it's no grounds to date the person. It's no grounds to plan a marriage with the person. Are you with me? It's no ground. 
if by God's grace, at the end of the year, the Lord says we should plant our church, we do. We plant a church. And in two, three years' time, you say you want to marry. I will not say how many people have you slept with. Just, you will marry or marry. God has washed you clean. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? You don't owe anything to anybody. If the husband you want to marry does not believe you are washed clean by Christ, you should be going. So your mistakes don't have to define. Your past mistakes don't have to define who you end up with. Hallelujah. So now I'm not seeing people smile. Hallelujah. So you people can talk. This, how is this talk? Is it's hot. Hallelujah. All right. Next one. <laughs> Next point. Purpose. Now, this is a bit tricky, but I'll explain. Because I know we are handling wrong reasons. But it's not just purpose in a general sense. But more what we're trying to say is that fulfilling your purpose is not dependent on a significant order. Did you get that? Fulfilling your purpose is not dependent on a significant order. Are you getting it? So, what I mean is this. You will fulfill purpose whether you marry or not. That's what we're saying. Are you getting this? You will fulfill purpose whether you marry or not. And so, yes, your purpose can be aligned with somebody else. But being in a relationship will not limit your ability, or not, will not limit your ability to fulfill purpose. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 32. It says, I want you to be free. This is Paul speaking. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. It says, your married man is anxious about things of the Lord. It says, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. Your married man is, your married or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. So, this is, this, this is bringing to your mind that you can fulfill purpose without getting married. The Apostle Paul here is saying a woman who is betrothed is focused on the Lord. She might be married later, but now she's focused on the Lord. Are you getting the point? Focused on the Lord. Seeming to suggest that you can even, you might even please God more. So singles, there's hope for you. I'm sorry. No. But singles, he's trying to tell you that fulfilling purpose is even easier when you are single. Are you listening to me? Yes, sir. Don't rush. Focus on the Lord. Don't rush. So, being single is not a bad thing. This is the disposition to have. You were not created just for marriage. What is purpose? Remember the definition of purpose I've given to you? My pastor defines purpose as that one thing for which you were born. Purpose is that one thing for which you were born and at which you must succeed. Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at would count. Purpose is that one thing for which you were born and at which you must succeed uh, otherwise nothing else you succeed at would count purpose is that one thing for which you were born and at which you must succeed otherwise nothing else you succeed at would count and so when you face god his question will not be why did you not get married are you getting my point his question will not be why did you not get married and this should put it in perspective for you it's not the most important thing in the world He's going to ask about purpose. And we know that the purpose of a man is to know God and to make him known. That's what he's going to ask you for. The fact is that when you are actually focused on purpose, the person that is going your direction will be attracted to you. That's how it works. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, focus on purpose. is the most important thing. Don't leave purpose for another purpose. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, focus 
on purpose. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, it says, And he died for all that day, which should not let not let want to live for themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So if truly you believe that your life is for Christ who died for you and rose again, his purpose must be the most important thing in your life. And if you are going to chase any other thing, it must in turn be in his life because you don't live your life. Do you so when you shout, I'm sold out, I'm sold out for Jesus, don't be sold out on everything but marriage. Are you with me? Be sold out on everything generally. Are we getting what I'm reading, what I'm saying? There's that soft side of you that believes in being sold out, but you believe marriage is for you. Be sold out on everything. Are you getting it? The life we live is no longer our own, but for him who died for us and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ is a new creature, all things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. It says, all things have God who are reconciled the world to himself by Jesus and had what? Giving to us the ministry of reconciliation. Believer, you have a ministry. What God will ask you about is this ministry he has committed to your hand. What did you do with it? Not who you married. This is what he would ask you. It says, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and committed them the ministry of reconciliation. It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech us by you, beseech you by us rather. Are you with me? So we've received a ministry. We are on a journey. So if we are on a journey and there is purpose to be fulfilled, why did God? Why? God? Why? Somebody say, God, why? God, why? At this stage, some people don't have any reason again because I'm very scatterotic reasons. <laughs> Maybe we should all just move on. <laughs> Happy single. But God, why? And so for the singles here, you must ask yourself this before getting into any relationship or before deciding to get into one. And for those who are dating here, you must ask yourself, why am I in this relationship? What is the purpose? Why am I in this relationship? What is the purpose? And I'm just going to give one because I think this one encompasses all. God, why? God, why? God, why? God, why? Alright, we'll continue in the next teaching. See you tomorrow. <laughs> they are looking at me like, so after doing all of this, you want to stop here? <laughs> now, wow, so, all of you want to know why. <laughs> Anyways, all right, so, God, why? The one thing I'm going to say is towards Christ. And that's my only point. And I will explain what I mean by towards Christ. Why should you date towards Christ? Now, Pastor Laju Iran in the book Dating Intelligently said something I want to share with you. And I quote, a purposeful relationship is one entered with marriage in mind. A purposeful relationship is one entered with marriage in mind, but with the sole purpose of spurring each other up to love and good works and Christ-centeredness. I'll take that again. A purposeful relationship is one entered with marriage in mind, but with the sole purpose of spurring each other up to love and good works and Christ-centeredness. With the sole purpose of spurring each other up to what? Love, good works, and what? And Christ-centeredness. Read that one minute and see if you understand it. If you understand it, say, I, I. I, I. <laughs> All right, so a purposeful relationship is one entered with marriage in mind, but with the sole purpose of spurring each other up to love and good works and Christ centeredness, meaning we don't date for fun. Are you getting this? We do not what? 
date for fun. First of all, if we're going to go into it, marriage was being viewed. I don't say will, I say must. Uh, because think about it, why else then? We have a goal to spot the person up towards what? Good work. And this is why the job of a partner is not condemnation. Because relationships open both parties to each other's weaknesses. So don't be like Job's wife and tell him to curse God. Mm -mm. Or don't be like Job's wife and give bad counsel. Mm -mm. And don't be like, don't, 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 don't be a partner who who pulls your partner down rather than spurring each other up to good works? Support each other towards purpose. I hate me. Support each other towards purpose. Those visions God has given you will be pushed by somebody. And that's the person to be with. So what were we doing in secondary school? Because you sure didn't have marriage in mind. So will you ask me, should I date in secondary school? Now you know that it will be a foolish question to ask me that because the question is answered. Are you getting the points now? Are you getting your answers now? Yes, sir. Because marriage has to be in mind. Else it's only, you have to understand, marriage must be a part of the deal when getting into a relationship. So don't date somebody you don't see yourself getting married to. It baffles me. You are dating each other, but I ask you, say, I actually don't see myself marrying. Well, then what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you with me? So rather than just companionship, which we said was not alone, it becomes a lifelong support towards being like Christ. And fulfilling purpose, a genuine one. Many times when you are really chasing purpose, you will, the, the person who is going your direction will come. So let Christ be the center. Let him be the center. Let him be the center. Think about it, guys. If marriage is not the goal, what are you doing? You are exposing yourself to more sexual temptations at such a young age. Do you understand the point? You, you are, it's, it's less profitable. It's less profitable. But if the goal is towards spurring up each other towards good good works, doesn't mean there will not be temptation. But now there's purpose. Are you with me? There's purpose. Because now, even though that is there, you have you know why I'm here. So I'm doing this. I'm your biggest fan because you have to do this thing. You are also pushing me up. We're going the same direction. And marriage is in view. So in the end, it will all have been worth it. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Why subject yourself to all of that temptation when you're not finally married person? Do you get what I'm saying? So, th- there's no purpose if you do, if you just randomly date somebody. So, marriage must be in view. Else, you're just, you are, we just know that you're looking for, you're looking for Wala. So, marriage must be in view. I'll give you four questions from the book that I feel are, are, are very important, you know, to ask if you're in a relationship. Number one, why did we begin this relationship? Number two, what can we do to make this relationship more Christ-centered? Number three, what more can we do to support each other? And in what ways can we build our friendship? This, this helps because your relationships are purposeful. A note of caution, brothers, because it's usually people that do this. Your partner is not only just a prayer partner. You're also in a relationship. Because some of you now, because of everything I've taught you now, turn your relationship to church service. <laughs> Calm down. There's still love. There's still attraction. I'm just giving you proper reasons why you should go into it in the first place. We still deal with all the I still expose all of you in other teachings. Today, I'm just giving you reasons. Right reasons. And answers to the right question. Alright. My time is fast spent, but I have to address this because I want to talk about marriage. I, I've intentionally shaped the teaching to more dating, right? If you notice, I, I haven't really spoken about marriage a lot. And that's because of our audience. Alright, as a pastor, one of the things you learn to do is to prepare for the people that are receiving your sermons. But over the next couple of years, we'll begin to have people who are married 
I didn't put smiley in my notes because I said we begin to have married people in our community. <laughs> it's well. I was just like, what is this? Anyways, so after knowing about dating, you must understand what marriage really is. Because your dating, your relationship is linked to that final decision. So what is marriage? It is primarily and the, the primary goal, one of, not primary, but one of the goals, important goals of marriage is that it glorifies God. Are you with me? And exemplifies Christ to the world. That is, it's an example of Christ to the world. It's an example. Are you getting what I'm saying? You are a steward of the love of Christ. Are you getting it? You are a steward of the love of Christ. You are there. Yes, all of these other things will happen. There will be happiness. There will be joy. There will be love. There will be companionship. There will be all of those things. But don't always forget as well. Because there will be times in marriage as well when you are trying to figure out what you are doing. This is what you are doing. Ultimately, you are to do life together. When you get married, your destiny becomes linked. Both of you have a purpose in God. And so, whosoever you are linked to, you you have to be careful whosoever you want to link yourself with forever, you are going the same direction. I get what I'm saying. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the Bible says, And the Lord said, It's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a help me for him. Now, when he says it's not good for a man to be alone, there, he's not talking about loneliness. I get what I'm saying. He's not talking about loneliness. The word there implies, and it does not also imply that the man was incomplete. <laughs> The Hebrew word alone there is B-A-D, bad. And it implies separation, as in just him being isolated. So he says, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a help meet. And this word does not also mean that the woman is making, or the person is making, is going to be a maid. Mm -mm. I I get what I'm saying. Or it's going to be lower or lesser than him. Mm -mm. The Hebrew word, help me there, the Hebrew word there is Eza, that's E-Z, E-Z-E-R, and it's pronounced Eza, it's pronounced A-Y-Z-E-R, so A-Y-Z-E-R, that's how you pronounce Eza, but it's spelled E-Z-E-R, alright, so, and the word Eza, for more context, for more context, the word Eza was used in the Old Testament only twice for, for a woman, the remaining 17 times it was used, it was used for God, does that give you more clarity of what I'm talking about? So, Saying that is making him a helpmate does not imply that he's making somebody who does not know what the person is doing and is coming to support the man or to, to you know, and is coming to be a maid to the man or be lesser than him. Asa was used for God in all of the other times. Are you with me? So, I'll give you an example. When David says, the Lord is my helper, that's Asa. I'm poor and needy. Make haste unto me. Oh God, thou art my helper. That's Asa. Psalm 115 verse 9 says, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help. So, Ezra is used more to talk about a rescuer or a savior than a servant. So, when he calls her the help meet, it's not a murder. Are you with me? He's not talking about a mate. Rather, a rescuer, a savior. This would now help you understand that God intended the woman to be a companion, a partner in purpose for Adam. Someone to do the work of life with. Someone to do life with. And so your purpose in marriage is not to be a maid, neither is to be a cook. You find a partner to do life with. To carry out, to fulfill destiny with. To live purposefully with. And so your marriage 
ultimately as well would mirror the relationship between Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. The Bible begins to tell you, wife, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as the, as Christ is head of the church. And I'll teach about this later, but this, this teaches submission, not subjugation. Meaning now when two people are supposed to work together, for two people to work together and agree well, there must be a leader. So I set the man as a leader, but I set him not just as a leader, but as a servant leader. Are you getting this? And then I, you know, there's an instruction, so there's a way to go about it. It's a mutual submission, but there's a leader. When I say mutual submission, it's because the things that God also tells the man to do is like what Christ did. And Christ served the church in dying for the church. And then the church loved him back and now served him. It's a response to love. Are you seeing this? It's willful submission. Hallelujah. It's willful submission. Ephesians, let's continue to read. So it says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave, it, gave himself up for Isaiah 26 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing with the water of the word. It says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot and wrinkle or of any such. It says that she might be holy and without blemish. It says, in the same way, husband, love your wives as their own bodies. It says, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So there's a comparison here. Between, between, you know, our, our marriages and the relationship between Christ and the church. In verse 30, he then says, because we are members of his body, he says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. He says, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's saying, what you see in marriage is a mystery that refers to Christ and the church. So all your time being married, you are telling a story of the perfect union of Christ and the church. Does that make sense? So ultimately, yes, as long as you are married, you are glorifying God. In that single act, the Apostle Paul says, your marriage is talking about Christ and the church. Did you learn something? Yes, Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you because we've been instructed, we've been corrected, we've learned, we've unlearned. We've, we've relearned so many things. And so, Lord God, help us to think through the things that we have learned and help us to make proper decisions. Every anxiety about relationship dies now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray that the Catalyst community raises men and women who are perfect and comfortable, even in their singleness. And yet, at the same time, men and women who with the wisdom that you give will make right choices concerning relationships. We pray that the Catholic community produces strong Christian relationships that ultimately lead into strong Christian marriages, that ultimately lead into strong Christian homes, that ultimately lead into godly, God-fearing children raised in your way. And so, Lord Jesus, for anyone in a relationship, we pray that you strengthen the right relationships. And we pray that the wrong relationships are broken. And we pray for anyone who is also about to make a decision concerning relationships. We pray that they are aided to choose rightly. That they will be able to think with their brain as well as feel with their hearts. But not just that, that they are able to hear your voice as well on whatever decisions they have to make. Father, thank you for your word. I will never remain the same. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Were you blessed this evening? Amen.